Welcome to Upstream Downstream, a lively civil discussion devoted to the political, policy, and cultural topics that often divide us. Upstream Downstream is presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communication at Shepherd University in cooperation with WSHC-FM and the Listen, Learn, Engage initiative. And now for this week's discussion. Welcome to Upstream Downstream. I'm Bianca Eisen. In a time when news spreads faster than ever before, many Americans are beginning to view made-up news as a serious problem. But research from the Pew Research Center suggests that many Americans struggle to tell fact from opinion. Our guest today is Liz Price, the manager of professional learning for the News Literacy Project, a nonpartisan national education nonprofit based out of Washington, D.C., that provides resources for educators and the public to teach, learn, and share the abilities needed to be smart, active consumers of news and information and engaged participants in a democracy. Liz, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Bianca. It's great to be here. So to begin, I'd like you to talk to me about when the News Literacy Project got established and why is there a need for news literacy programs? That's a great question. So the News Literacy Project was founded in 2008 by our uh, illustrious founder, Alan Miller. Alan is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Um, He is a former journalist at the Los Angeles Times. And he came up with the idea for the News Literacy Project after visiting his daughter's middle school. And when he went to that, when he went to the middle school, he realized that there were so many students who were unable to really sort fact from fiction in the news. And he saw that there was a gap there and he really wanted to kind of challenge that gap and and see what he could do to kind of bridge that experience for students. So that was really the beginning of the News Literacy Project. And at the time it was a strictly volunteer organization. Um, And since 2008, you know, it's it's grown to um, a pretty robust organization. I mean, you know, we have um, about 30 staffers. Um, We're located across the US. it's it's become something pretty special. Um, and so to go to your other question, I mean, I think, you know, people have a lot of questions when they hear the word news literacy. Um, and I think there's some maybe confusion with that and like media literacy or just like literacy in general. But I will say that news literacy and the News Literacy Project, the bulk of what we do is to help people discern fact from fiction um, in the news and in other information that they consume. That's that's really the, the crux of the work. You mentioned that there's a gap with school-age students being able to differentiate between facts and opinions or things like Onion articles, perhaps. But one of the statistics I found from your website from a survey done by the Pew Research Center showed that even about a quarter of adults have some issues identifying factual statements versus opinions. Why is there such a gap in adults being able to recognize what is true and what's opinionated? Well, you know, we live in the most... um, complex information landscape in, in history. And so it's it's really not because people, you know, don't want to do better. It's just that the environment is so complex and challenging and there's a huge amount. There's just a sheer like mountains and mountains of information that we are bombarded with every single day. I mean, if you think about how many times your phone sends you a notification every day, I mean, that number is 
astounding. Actually, there's a chart um, that I really like. It's by this uh, group called Visual Capitalist, and they do um, this report every year called the Internet Minute, and they show you like how many texts are sent every day, how many um, emails you receive, like it, it kind of breaks that those numbers down really well. And the numbers are just are, are wild. Um, I encourage I always encourage people to to look more closely into it, because I think it's really, it just illustrates that point very well. So yeah, to answer your question, I think it's just that we have so much information at our fingertips, and we don't really have the skills to know what to do with those in a meaningful way because we're not taught you know it's it's like any other discipline um you have to you have to be taught in order to really know how to do it right so liz i'd like you to talk to me a little bit about the resources and programs that the news literacy project offers and how these programs impact different communities across the us yeah so um we offer a lot of really fantastic programming so um i'll start with talking about our Checkology Virtual Classroom. Um, Checkology Virtual Classroom is an e-learning platform. Um, it's primarily for middle and high school students, but it's also available for the general public. So if you are not a student and you just wanna learn about um, news literacy, you wanna learn about civics education, you can go on to our Checkology Virtual Classroom platform. It's completely free. And it has a, a wide range of modules that really cover lots of different topics within the news literacy umbrella. Um, we cover misinformation, we cover um, skills on how to really identify misinformation. Lateral reading is a really popular module in the Technology Virtual Classroom. Um, we talk a lot about just kind of a gamut of different subjects within news literacy. So that platform is excellent. Um, it's also really fun. It's, it's kind of like a game, um, which I love, you know, and I think there's this... Um, this pressure sometimes to feel like you have to get everything right when it comes to this stuff. And I think this platform really um, breaks it down in a, in a fun and engaging way and makes makes the subject matter a little less intimidating. So that's, that's one platform that I love to recommend to folks. Um, we also have um, a couple different newsletters that we send out weekly. So uh, we have one of our newsletters is called The Sift. And that is produced by some of my excellent colleagues, um, Peter Adams, Hannah Covington, and Pam Brunskill. And they uh, do this every week, and it's essentially um, a rundown of, of the news. What's, what is happening in the news? Are there pieces of misinformation in, in some you know, relevant news stories that are kind of in the circulation of that week? Um, and we, we, we go through and we break it down. It's, it's very thorough. It's a great tool, um, not just for you know, your average readers, but also if you're an educator, um, there's a lot of great stuff in there to implement in your classroom. Um, if you're doing you know, an, a lesson on news literacy, there's great stuff in there. Um, and then we also have another newsletter called Get Smart About News. Um, and that also runs uh, once a week. And um, that's, uh, again, another great resource um, to really delve deep into some of the um, real life examples that are in our news cycles um, to kind of get a better hold on these news literacy concepts. Um, and then my, my uh, one of my favorite things that NLP does is um, our uh, News Lit Camp event. And that is um, our, uh, really our, our flagship 
um, professional learning event that we put on for educators across the country. Um, and this is a day-long professional learning conference where we invite educators and we also invite um, a local newsroom and we invite journalists from that newsroom to talk about their experience as journalists and really how they deal with um, reporting the news, how they make judgments about what is news and what is not. Um, it's a great way for educators to really get a sense of what journalists deal with in the field and how that can translate into um, lessons for them to take back to the classroom and share with their students. Because sometimes there's um, there can be a disconnect, I guess, between, you know, these kind of conceptual ideas about what news literacy is and then putting it into a real life context. So this event kind of brings those two things together. And um, it's, it's just a lot of fun. We, we always get to meet really cool journalists and they always have um, exciting and interesting things to say. So um, yeah, that's, that's just a small sample, but I always encourage people, um, if you're interested in learning more about what we do, um, visit our website. It's newslit.org.org. It has, like I said, a ton of different resources, whether you're an educator, whether you're a student, or whether you're just um, a member of the general public and you just want to learn more. Um, there's something on our website for everyone. I'd like to backtrack a little bit to your Czechology program. You mentioned that one of the things that the program fosters is lateral reading. Can you talk to me more about what this is? Lateral reading is a key news literacy skill. And lateral reading is a tool that you can use when you encounter something online that maybe you're not sure about. Maybe you see it and you think, hmm, this is, a, this is a bold claim, or this is a piece of news that I don't really know much about. Let me verify this information before I do something with it. And lateral reading is really critical, especially if you are going to share something on social media or elsewhere online. It's really important to take a second to use a skill like lateral reading to verify what it is that you're getting ready to share or even if you're not sharing it on social media even if you're just sharing it with you know a friend like in a, in a private text message it's it's good to kind of verify that information so um as i mentioned you know we have a checkology lesson on lateral reading which kind of goes through the step-by-step -step, um tools but uh that, that are part of lateral reading but there's a good chance if you happen to use the internet often, you probably already um, do lateral reading. Like that's probably something that you're already familiar with. So this can look like um, doing a uh, Google search for a, a context clue or a piece of information in an article that you're reading. Um, so say for example, you're reading an article on the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict and there's something in that article about um, a, a name that you might not be familiar with or a location um, in Ukraine that you might not be familiar with, um, you can literally like highlight that item in the article. You can right click and you can do search on Google and that will take you to more information about that concept. And that way you have more context when you're digesting this information. So it's not just Oh, I'm, I'm reading this. I don't really know what this means, but I'm just going to go go ahead with it because, you know, I, it, it takes too long and I, I don't understand, you know, and, and that's really what we want to try to get away from is, is, you know, feeling like we don't have control over 
the information that we're consuming. Um, this is a way to really feel like, hey, like I, I have control over how I'm absorbing this and I have control over whether or not I'm, I'm able to, to share it and I'm able to you know, have an informed conversation about it. So um, yeah, I, I really encourage people to check out that Checkology lesson because I think it illustrates it really well. With regards to your programs and your newsletters and other various ways of getting information out about news literacy, do you have a way of tracking how successful your program is in educating people and what to look for in news stories? Yeah. Um, do you mean in terms of like Checkology specifically or just in general? Like in general. In, in general, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we... I, I use Checkology as an example because um, we get a lot of really excellent metrics from, from that platform. But we also do um, collect metrics from our like professional learning events as well. Um, I'm just gonna pull up something that I wanted to share. So um, yeah, we, we make a point really at NLP to um, make sure that like our work is, um, that we take the time to really understand what it is that we're doing and why it is that we're doing it. So like for the, the 2019 and 2020 school year, um, nearly nine in 10 students could correctly identify the five freedoms protected by the First Amendment. That was um, data that we captured as a result of students who used our Checkology platform. Um, also, we discovered that two thirds of students could correctly identify the traits of quality journalism after using Checkology. Um, a couple other just points I'll make about that. Um, more than four fifths of students said in a survey that they intend to increase their civic participation, which I think is amazing. Um, and finally, um, more than nine in 10 teachers said in a survey that Checkology was better than other e-learning tools they have used in the classroom. So we do, we do make it a priority to really um, understand how students and teachers and really everyone is using our, our content because we want there to be a real life um, benefit for people that use it. You know, this is this is more than you know, just kind of a one-off thing. It's something. It's a skill set that we try to really develop um, for folks. So, um, yeah, I I think the data is is helpful because it really does illustrate that this work can transform the way people think about this stuff. You're listening to Upstream Downstream, sponsored by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications and the Listen Learn Engage Initiative at Shepherd University. Our guest today is Liz Price, the manager of professional learning for the News Literacy Project. Liz. While the organization itself is nonpartisan, what does the demographic you work with look like? So yeah, our organization is uh, rigorously nonpartisan and we have uh, members of our board of directors from many different professional sectors, from many different political affiliations. Um, and we really strive to make that a point of our organization. So even from the top down, um, we represent a very wide, uh, demographic of people that are that are involved in news literacy education. Once you get past our board, our group of staffers at NLP is also quite diverse. Um, we come from all different walks of life, backgrounds, um, and then our students and our educators, again, same thing. Um, we offer programming and resources for educators in all 50 states. We've um, provided programming for 
people even outside of the U.S., which is awesome um, and, and unexpected. <laughs> um, and, and also, I think, really speaks to how um, nonpartisan this work really is, right? Because, you know, if we were striving to make this just programs for Americans, then maybe we wouldn't attract people from, from all over the world. So um, that's, that's something that I, I love to, to kind of think about because, you know, learning about and participating in your civic life um, is really apolitical, which sounds kind of contradictory, but, but it is, you know, because ultimately, and, and this is what I think we all really strive for at NLP is like, we don't tell people what to think. That is not our objective at all. We want to tell people and we want to give people the tools to be able to make those critical decisions for themselves. And we just want to help people um, on their journey to be able to do that. So that's that's really the mission behind the work that we do. And we, we actively strive to, um, to really separate our uh, any sort of you know partisanship from from the work that we do because you know news literacy again is a is a skill it's a skill set that you build and it, it really doesn't have anything to do with your belief system necessarily it's just how do you how are you going out and how are you um, absorbing the information that you come in contact with. Liz, I'd like to shift focus a little bit. It seems that while Americans in general need to brush up on their news literacy skills. How serious is the spread of misinformation? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> um, I would say it's very serious. Um, you know, between 2003 and 2016, Americans' trust in news media declined from 54% to 33%. So, I mean, that's a that's a pretty big differential. And that, that was as of 2016. So I, I don't know what that number is now, but, um, you know, I think the past couple of years, we've seen um, a lot of events in the news that have really um, kind of challenged our perception of what is true and what is not. Um, you know, I mean, I think you can you can look at the January 6th insurrection as an example of that and, and all the misinformation that surrounded that event. Um, I think, you know, the public as a result of um, of misinformation is, is largely unable to distinguish between news and opinion. And, you know, when we talk about news literacy, we, we really want to be able to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with having an, an, an informed opinion, but can you distinguish between something that is uh, standards-based journalism, something that is fact-based journalism versus something that is opinion that is masquerading as news as fact-based news and and that's really where we we kind of get into this issue of misinformation um and i also just want to uh clarify something that that was confusing for me um and might be confusing for others but when we talk about misinformation um we're talking about a wide range of different kinds of information that can show up in different ways that is just factually incorrect, it is, it is false, right? When we talk about disinformation, that's when we talk about intent. So something can be a form of misinformation regardless of whether or not the intent in sharing it was malicious or, or intentional, right? When we talk about disinformation, 
that is when a piece of misinformation was intentionally shared with the intention of, of being misleading, right? So I, I like to make that distinction because I think those two terms get confused a lot and they are slightly different. Disinformation is has to do with the uh, malicious intent to share that information, whereas misinformation, um, the motivating factors behind misinformation can be different. I mean, some sometimes, you know, our motivation for sharing something that is misinformation might be altruistic, right? Maybe we are scrolling like Twitter and we see um, a, a tweet from someone that says, um, oh, you know, COVID-19 vaccines are no longer available in my city. Like I, I have to drive a hundred miles away to get this COVID vaccine. That information could be false, but we might share it because we're, we're concerned that people who might want to get the vaccine can't get it. So that would be an example of, of something that, of a piece of misinformation that then becomes disinformation um, because it's, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unclear, right? So. Well, you mentioned social media and we brought this up a little earlier as well. You're scrolling through and there's plenty of news articles that have little blurbs about them now that, oh, it's been fact-checked and it'll tell you, mm -hmm. oh, this is true. Oh, this is partially true. Oh, this isn't true at all. How reliable are these fact-checkers on social media? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah, well, you know, here's what I'll say about social media platforms. Um, I think that there are strides being made in terms of moderation tools. And I think that sometimes those tools can be effective. Um, however, I think the ultimate responsibility at this point is really on us as readers to verify that information. It's helpful when a platform has that kind of, that fact-checking built in, but it's not always, reliable, it's not always accurate, and we have to really take a second to um, to validate what it is that we're that we're coming in contact with because you know the platform itself is a vehicle, right? It's a vehicle to really get our news, but it's not the um, they're not the authors of that information. They're not the ones that create that information. They're just the ones that publish that information. So um, if there's something that we see that has that, you know, uh, disclaimer or it has a warning on it and we're not sure if we're not sure about that, like we can use a tool like lateral reading, we can take that skill, we can verify that, we can do a quick Google search, we can see, oh, are there other sources um, that are saying the same thing? Are there other, where is this source coming from? Is this from a fact-based uh, or a standards-based news outlet? Is this from... Um, from an opinion site? Is this from um, an entertainment site? Is this from is this satire? You know, how, where is this source coming from? Are, and and should I just rely on this fact checking uh, disclaimer in social media to verify that? I would say do an extra step if you're if if you're not sure. Do an extra step. So then, with social media and technology advancing as fast as it does, is misinformation and the lack of ability of people to recognize misinformation becoming a larger issue than it has been in the past? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think that that is um, why we uh, why we do the work that we do at NLP is is that it is it is continuing to grow and 
um, kind of going back to what I was saying about that uh, visual capitalist internet minute, um, they do that survey or they do that, that study rather every year. And every year you see those numbers go up. You see the number of, of texts sent, you see the number of tweets sent, the number of Facebook posts published, like all those numbers continue to increase. So I think just with that, with those numbers continuing to increase, the likelihood of misinformation also increases just because of the sheer volume of content out there. So, um, so yeah, I, I do think it's, it's a growing issue. Um, but I will say that, you know, there are organizations like ours, there are other people in the space um, that are, that are doing the work to combat it. And so it's not a hopeless thing is what I like to, to say. It's, it may seem like that sometimes just because there's so much out there, but um, there are things we can do to combat it. And, and that's really where this work comes in. With the sheer volume of content that is being spread around on social media and in general, it can be exhausting to have to go through and fact check everything we, we read. Are there any subjects that are more likely to be the focus of disinformation or misinformation? Or is it just something where it's spread pretty evenly across the board? Yeah, um, well, I think that, you know, we see a lot of misinformation when it comes to um, politics and matters of, of partisanship. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, that happens on both sides. It happens on all sides, rather. It's not a left or right issue. There is misinformation across the political spectrum. Um, so I think that's definitely one area that we see that in. Also, um, um, there's a, there can be a lot of misinformation in, you know, the science community. I think we've seen that um, in the last several years. Um, and, of course, there are very uh, strong and really scary implications when it comes to that. I mean, health information, health misinformation um, can have really some, some potentially life-altering consequences, right? Um, but like you said, I think, you know, we can see misinformation in, in anything. Um, it is not subject-specific. Um, it, it really can show up anywhere. Um, and, and that's also kind of when you get into um, discussions around conspiracy theories, um, those are uh, really the evolution of a lot of uh, misinformation uh, culminates in, in terms of conspiracy theories. Um, and those can, can really run the gamut across all subject matter. So um, yeah, I, I think that there are some areas that maybe are um, more prone to misinformation, but I would say that it it can reach anywhere um, and it, it doesn't discriminate. Well, considering that some of the things that are being spread are life impacting, should we consider incorporating any sort of government legislation to mitigate this issue? Or is this something that perhaps should be left to the platforms with regards to what they allowed to be shared? Yeah, so it kind of touches on what we were talking about earlier um, in terms of platforms as just kind of being the, the vehicle, but not necessarily uh, the um, owner of the content, I guess you would say. Um, but also, you know, news literacy is, and our goal at NLP really is to introduce and standardize news literacy education in schools, because we really believe that education is kind of the front lines for this work. 
Um, because, you know, it empowers people, right? It empowers people to think for themselves and to recognize credible sources of information um, as well as misinformation. So um, what our goal is as an organization is to make news literacy education a required part of, um, of, of children's education and, and make that a standardization across the board in all 50 states. Um, as part of a civics education, really. So, um, yeah, and and you know, I think that um, there's different approaches to kind of solving this issue, but we really stand behind the idea that education is is the way to really combat this. Well, Liz, we have just about a minute left. Do you have any final thoughts that people should be aware of when it comes to news literacy? News literacy also means recognizing the critical role of the First Amendment and and a free press, right? So. Again, news literacy is not about telling you what to believe. It's about empowering you to really share what it is that you believe in an informed way. And it's not about censorship. It's about the opposite, really. It's about being able to share your beliefs freely in a way that is informed. Um, so yeah, that, that's my big takeaway. Thank you so much. Liz, thank you again for joining me today. Our guest today was Liz Price. She serves as the manager of professional learning for the News Literacy Project, a nonpartisan national education nonprofit that provides resources for educators and the public to teach, learn, and share the abilities needed to be smart, active consumers of news and information and engaged participants in a democracy. I'd also like to thank our producer, Sarah Burke, and our acting director, Greg Fields. Thank you all so much for listening, and until next time, I'm Bianca Eisen. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Upstream Downstream, presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University. To learn more about the Stubblefield Institute, other programs such as the Listen, Learn, Engage initiative or the American Conversation series, or to become a friend of the Institute, please go online to stubblefieldinstitute.org.